Earlier this year, I had the chance to sit down with Jason Summers of Landcastle Title Group. He's had a long and distinguished career in title, from working on the agency side and the direct side of operations for underwriters. We discussed everything from the concern over a potential recession in 2020, to wire fraud, and growing a title operation with a variable cost model. I'm Amanda Farrell, and this is Title Talks. Thank you for joining us. Um, do you want to go ahead and start and just say a little bit about your name and your experience in title and real estate? Sure, sure. My name is Jason Summers. Uh, I've been with Fidelity since 2005. Prior to that, I was with another national underwriter, but I've been in title pretty much my whole life. Um, my father has an agency. He started in the title business in 1968 in Michigan, and uh, that's what brought us to Florida, believe it or not. And um, so, yeah, I've always been around it, uh, primarily on the agency side of the business, mm -hmm. um, starting way back out of college, and then uh, transitioning into the more the direct side of the business um, in late 2015. So I've been with Fidelity on the direct side uh, for a handful of years now. Great, awesome. Um, and tell me, can you tell me a little bit about like the current state of the housing market um, in Florida? How does that compare to the national state of things? Sure. Um, so Florida is always what I say is always a little bit unique in that we have everything that most people want, right? We have sun and sand and great weather, uh, positive population growth. Mm -hmm. You know, on average, we're probably netting a thousand new individuals to Florida every day. Uh, so that bodes really well for our economy. Obviously, we have tourism, which helps out mm -hmm. tremendously. No state income tax so that drives a lot of people here as well. So, you know, overall, Florida, I tend to say, is a little more insulated than the rest of the U.S. But obviously, we have our, our pockets where maybe we're seeing a little bit of a slowdown on the real estate side of things. But on the, you know, conversely to that, we're also seeing a tremendous growth in other markets as well. You said that you started off in the independent title agency side of things. I did. Uh, what sort of um, advice would you give to like uh, smaller uh, title companies that are like trying to compete in the current market right now? Sure. So I think my biggest advice, and probably the biggest thing I've learned transitioning from the agency side of the business to the directs, or the direct side of the business, is that you need to really look at your metrics. And when I say metrics, I mean your average fee per file, the number of transactions that you're taking in every day for new orders, the number of transactions you're closing uh, as well on a daily basis, and all, you know, obviously looking at that on an overall perspective of how your month plays out. But the reason those are very important is that sometimes we feel really, really busy because we, you know, Friday rolls around, we got a lot of closings, mm -hmm. and it feels great, right? We're bringing in a lot of money, but what's happening on the back end? Are, you know, are we draining the pond? Are we kind of draining our pipe? Mm -hmm. Or do we have enough orders coming in to kind of to meet that same demand or to create that same sort of buzz that we have every Friday going for the next 30, 60, 90 days? Right. So my biggest piece of advice is make sure you understand your clients, your business. Um, you don't want to live paycheck to paycheck, meaning your closing ratios. You know, if we, we look at the number of files that we bring in compared to what we close that month, if it's a very high ratio, I jokingly tell our offices, you're living paycheck to paycheck because you got to bring in now that same number of orders the following month to kind of generate the same revenue. So believe it or not, over the 20 year period of the title business, at least in the fidelity world, uh, we average about 72% uh, of the orders that are open are closed. So 72% closing ratio. Mm -hmm. So when that starts to creep up, um, we want to be a little more concerned and we kind of can tell at that point the market's slowing down. The number of orders coming in are starting to outpace the number of orders that we're physically closing. 
And so just be mindful of that. You can adjust. The only thing we can do is adjust and manage to the market. We can't control the market. Thank so you. that's my biggest takeaway, I think, for what I've learned on the agency or the direct side of the business. Um, so on that note, like uh, knowing how to adjust um, to the market as things are coming and going, I know um, people talk a lot about, related to what we do, um, using you know, PropLogix uh, for ancillary closing tasks. Would you say that that makes sense for a lot of title companies? Absolutely. Like a more scalable model? So like when does it make sense to hire new talent to be in your office doing those closing tasks versus yeah. maybe partnering with, some, with someone that can do those tasks for you? A absolutely. I think it's imperative mm -hmm. that you do use outside vendors, especially if we're going into a market that's going to be maybe a little bit slower. And historically, the, the business in general has a seasonality to it. Mm -hmm. So we always kind of start a little slow and then second quarter, third quarter kind of gets a little more busy and we peak and then we kind of have this downward trend going into the fourth quarter you know, with the holidays and things of that nature. So kind of a normal bell curve every mm -hmm. single year. And the reason I bring that up is on our end, we like to stay very consistent with our employee counts, right? We don't want to have to go out, run out, and hire and train, and then, you know, unfortunately, maybe have to make a reduction as the market kind of falls away from us. So, what we like to do is tap into outside vendors. That way, we don't we can keep our our employee counts pretty normal and manage our workflows mm -hmm. by using outside resources that aren't necessarily a fixed um, expense to the operation meaning we're only paying for what we're ordering. So when we use companies like PropLogix, if we get 100 orders a month, great. If we have 20 orders a month, it doesn't really affect us as much because we're only paying for the, you know, the, paying the fees for the services that we've ordered on those 20 files. Whereas if I had a full-time employee, it may get a little more difficult, more difficult conversation, you know, going from 100 orders a month to 20. We're very mindful of the, the ratio between fixed costs and variable costs. Mm -hmm. So allowing us to utilize a company like PropLogix allows us to have more of a variable cost every month and keep our fixed costs very manageable. Um, something that, again, going back to the budgeting question, something we know will be repeatable. Okay. Uh, and then regardless of an influx of orders or a rapid decrease of orders, uh, the overall impact on expenses are minimized because we're using an outside provi provider like PropLogix. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, there's also been a lot of talk of, you know, when we talk about the ebb and flow, a lot of talk of the recession coming sure. up. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think it's mostly just talk? Is it like trying to be a self-fulfilling prophecy? Right. Um, what, can, what can you speak to that and maybe give advice to people who are worried? Sure. So personally, I'm always a half full type of person. So regardless of what I hear or read in the, you know, hear in the news or read in the press, I try to look past it. You know, I try to look at how does it affect my world and what are we seeing in our markets and what are our clients seeing, our, our realtors, our lenders, mm -hmm. individuals purchasing. So one thing I, I will say is, you know, coming into the year, there was a lot of talk about a slowdown, increasing interest rates, things that would have an impact on the overall economy within Florida and, and the U.S. for that matter. Mm -hmm. But like I said earlier, a lot of, Florida has a lot of things that insulate us. You know, we have some positive population growth here in the state historical low unemployment at, I think it's at 3.9%. Um, you know, so all those things come into play and we've actually seen an increase in certain markets, although certain markets that we operate in are down. So maybe 2% over last year. And I've seen some new projections even as of last Friday that pretty much have said 2019 is going to be flat. So we'll take flat, 
You know, I don't necessarily mean, you know, I'm not a, a fortune teller. I always joke and say my crystal ball's in the shop, you know, but um, recession, who knows? I mean, we, like I said, mentioned to you, we try to look 30, 60, 90 days out. Not sure what the end of the year will bring, but as it appears today, at least from a Florida perspective, everything looks pretty positive. And um, do you know much about like um, the Florida builders? Are they keeping up with demand for inventory and the different needs of various home buyers uh, like millennials? I know they tend to prefer walkability. They'll sacrifice space for location. Um, how do you think Florida is catering to those demands and those different home buyers? Yeah, so land, they're not making any more of it. So that's always a big challenge for, for new home builders, you know, mm -hmm. finding enough usable land to create the communities they're looking to develop. And so obviously in downtown areas or places that you mentioned are walkable or walkability, that gets drastically complicated. Mm -hmm. um, so we're seeing some townhomes and some pocket and boutique communities pop up, but then you kind of run into affordability. Mm -hmm. You know, that's probably our biggest challenge at the moment is affordability. Um, but you're absolutely right. Our, what we're seeing on our end, our millennials do tend to like newly built homes as opposed to buying homes in the secondary market mm -hmm. for exactly the reasons you mentioned. They're looking for something a little more, um, you know, uh, you know, it's uh, from a containment perspective, you know, they're looking for something a lot, heck of a lot more efficient than maybe the designs of 10, 15 years ago. And they're also looking for, you know, more eco-friendly homes, mm -hmm. solar panels, you know, just other, you know, building with alternative materials that maybe the homes that were built in the years past didn't take advantage of. So we are definitely seeing some movement on the millennial side of, of buying, but it tends to go towards newly constructed homes. And then even secondarily, we're seeing where builders are catering to the millennials as well, are building complete communities, uh, to your point of kind of self-contained communities where you have walkability, things of that nature, all geared around the things that millennials are looking for. Mm -hmm. So I, I definitely see it expanding in the future. We just here in Florida, like I said, it gets a little difficult with land, where that land's available, um, commutes, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. But there's definitely a big push. And the builders that we deal with are definitely seeing some movement. Uh, but again, it's, it's a difficult proposition with the purchase of land and finding the right location. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like where, where do you feel like millennials um, because definitely there's been some surveys I've seen that say millennials are feeling buyer's remorse. And even with the friends I know in my age range of like 30 to 36 say they kind of wish they hadn't of bought the house they did or they wish they had done more research. Where do you think the expectations and the reality um, is not meeting up with each other? No, absolutely. I, and I've read very similar articles where they said 60 to 70 percent of millennial home buyers kind of regret their purchase and now granted we're only one organization but we have a, a fair number of millennials that work for us and two of those individuals uh, Kelly Cassidy and Aaron Elser uh, out of the Tampa market have started a podcast called Millennial Life 360 mm -hmm. and they talk about all the various things that affect the millennials from a real estate perspective and so the reason I mention that is we feel the most important key to helping millennials not regret their purchase, but also jump into the market is educating them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, our takeaway on the 60 or 70% of people that say they regret it, we feel like if they were better educated going into the process, they wouldn't have that same regret. And secondarily, I think what you're also seeing is there's a lot of 
millennials that are getting into the lending side and the real estate side, and even kind of the more seasoned realtors and lenders are taking it upon themselves to really understand what millennials are looking for. And so between some of the things we're doing in the title industry to help educate millennials as well as the lenders and the realtors also kind of helping educate, I think you'll see those numbers decrease. Mm -hmm. um, we, and we were all in school, right? So a lot of times, when you, day one, something looks really scary and you say, I'm never gonna get through this class. But as you learn and you educate yourself and you understand you know, the process, uh, the end result would be a very much different experience day one compared to day 30 or 60. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think you'll find that we'll see more activity for the individuals that have educated themselves and see it as a great investment in their future uh, as far as... Um, um, I don't know if you've seen that one video that Ulta did where they were on the streets and they were interviewing people and asking them if they know what title, if they were homeowners first and if they knew what title insurance was. Um, and it was pretty shocking the amount of people who didn't really totally understand what that was. Do you think that millennials and younger people um, are more aware of what that is? Uh, do you think there's a way that you know the title industry in general can do more to sort of educate people on that specific aspect and how important you know your home, like having a homeowner's policy is? No, I agree. And it's an age-old question. You know, I mean, it, I always say it's a it's a great hidden industry. It brings tremendous value, obviously, to the homeowners mm -hmm. in the way of the project, project, protections and the things that we do. Um, you know, to ensure that they they. Uh, are safeguarded in their home. And then obviously from a lender perspective, you're not going to be able to get a loan without you know, them having their coverages as well. Mm -hmm. So yes, can we do more to educate? Absolutely. Um, we're probably the worst at it, you know, because we're so, you know, inundated in what we do every day. But through the podcast and through seminars and some of the things that the local uh, land title association, the FLTA are doing, mm -hmm. some of the things that the National Land Title Association are doing through ALTA, I think we'll bring more awareness to the value that we bring as an industry to the overall consumer, regardless of the generation they fall into. Mm -hmm. I think it's really key. Um, so yes, can we do a better job? Do I know exactly what can be done to, to make that happen? Probably not. But you know, it's an effort we're all taking on every single day and things through the podcast, you know, like the podcast mm -hmm. and some of the things that we have on our website. Uh, and I know your company does a great job with educating as well. So it's going to take all of us. Um, to jump in and, and help educate the consumer, mm -hmm. but it's an age-old question that I think we all struggle with and just takes time. And again, going back to what we talked about with education, educating the millennials, uh, I would say everyone needs to do that. You know, you need to really understand that stack of papers that you're signing at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And uh, I feel like we do, at Lancaster, we do a really good job of making sure that everyone's, they get it, they understand what they're signing their name yeah. to. And, um, you know, I think that's just important. How do like referral businesses work, you know, getting more, more clients, more realtors in the door um, based upon just being able to work with them and sustain those relationships if, you know, if the market does flatline, like how do you keep business numbers up if there's less sales, sure. you know, in general? Yeah, so the one thing that we focus on is our client mix. So we never, you know, you've heard the saying, right? You don't want to have all your eggs in one basket. So same holds true in sales. Mm -hmm. So we make sure we have a pretty diversified client mix. So we have a great, you know, and, and obviously every market's different. So sometimes the buyer agent controls where title is sent and sometimes the selling 
um, realtor controls where the title is sent. So we make sure we have a really good mix, and then we also obviously work with a lot of lenders as well. And some of those lenders are more refi-based or refinance-based. And right now we're actually seeing a pretty large uptick in refinances just because the rates have stabilized and actually dropped in some areas or in all areas. Um, so the number of homes that are available for refinance has actually increased slightly this year. And we've seen a nice influx of refinance activity because of that. Now, a couple of things happen. Um, you know, with the lower rates, obviously it spurs more sales activity. Mm -hmm. And so that's going to obviously help our, our various realtors that we work with around the state. So depending on the price point, um, those low interest rates could just drive up a tremendous amount of business for our clients. Mm -hmm. And then in other markets where maybe, say in the South Florida market where homes are drastically more than say, Tampa or Orlando, mm -hmm. you know, it's a different, it's a different mix. And so those homes tend to move and sell at a different rate than say homes in, you know, at a $200,000 range compared to million dollar homes. Um, so we just make sure that we are, we have a good sp spread of clients across all those various mixes of business activity mm -hmm. to ensure that regardless of the market conditions, we're still able to maintain a meaningful number of new orders coming in the door. Would you like to talk a little bit about wire fraud and what sort of things uh, companies can do to combat that? Yeah, I'd prefer not to, because <laughs> it's such a it's such an issue. Yeah. yeah, but um, you're you're right. It's something that we've dealt with um, for far too long. Mm -hmm. um, and I just give you a really quick story. Uh, we went up to Tallahassee a couple weeks back for the Florida Land Title Association lobby days, where we go and speak to the senators and the regulators about various bills that we have um, that are coming up. And, you know, there's not a law that we can necessarily put in place, but maybe we can do a PSA or something along those lines to educate everyone. Mm -hmm. But it's a really growing issue, and it's something that we monitor from a company standpoint monthly, daily. Uh, we put in a lot of different procedures internally to protect our clients. Mm -hmm. um, can't really get into all of those. But I will share with you that um, it, it's, it's at the forefront of our mind. I mean, I joke when I say this, but it's, it's very real in that I almost want to tell anyone that's wiring us money or anyone that's involved in a transaction, someone is trying to steal your money. <laughs> and they're going to be emailing you. And if you get anything that looks suspicious, call us. Mm -hmm. And call us on a number that you've always had, right? Don't call off the number that's in the email. Call from a known number. So we have a very um, strict procedure that we follow when we first get the con contract and that we speak to you know, the buyers and the sellers, anyone that's gonna be wiring money to us, exactly how that needs to happen. But it's a, really, it's a real big issue, not just in our industry, but with um, the elderly, with the people that aren't as tech savvy. And it's very sad, because you know, we've seen situations where people's whole entire life savings are gone in a split second because they reacted off of a a fraudulent wire request. And so we take it very serious. Uh, we have a whole task force corporately that helps us deal with it. Mm. Uh, we have very good relationships with our banking partners to help us kind of, you know, stop it if we knew, if we see it early enough. But what I would tell everyone, again, it goes back to educating themselves on title insurance and understanding what they're getting themselves into. Mm -hmm. Educate yourself on wire fraud. You know, don't click on those links in the email. You know, we always say look for punctuation because the, the fraudsters are horrible at spelling and punctuation. So if something looks off, it probably is. Um, but the really scary part is for the consumer is uh, the fraudsters tend to ghost us. So 
they'll send emails that look like it came from our email. Their signature line will look identical to us. They'll, they'll grab our logos. And you know, the good and the bad of the internet is anything, you can find anything online. So you know, we just had a situation the other day where I supposedly asked one of our offices to wire out a large sum of money, which I would never do. Um, but one internet search away, you can find out who I am, my email address, and which company I work for, and mm -hmm. some people will take advantage of that. So I always tell everyone, use your spidey sense. You know, if it just doesn't feel right, ask the question. You know, mm -hmm. taking a couple extra minutes to verify, it's not the end of the world. I know we live in a very busy, you know, time, but picking up the phone and calling your closer, your processor, the manager at the title company, you know, your realtor, your lender, just to verify, it will go a long way and it will hopefully heart, you know, save some heartburn in the future. I know I've, I've read a lot about these cases and, and one of the things that they, they, they do is manipulate emotion. So mm -hmm. definitely reaching out to home buyers and letting them know if someone is making it seem like something really bad is going to happen if you don't act now, that's a pretty good indication that you might be getting scammed. So always take the time to just slow down and like you said, just double check, pick up the phone with a no number and, and call your, your realtor or your title agent to make sure that they're, they're talking to the right person. Absolutely. You know, we have purposely removed the realtor from that process. You know, mm -hmm. years ago, years ago, you know, five, six, seven years ago, the realtor was always the one that would help kind of move the documents around mm -hmm. because that was the known entity to the buyer or the seller. And so what we've done, we tried to change that. We tried to protect the realtor, remove them from any of that, you know, that remove them from that situation where they're handling instructions. Mm -hmm. We want the buyer and the seller to come directly to us. We'll manage that. We'll make sure they have an encrypted way to contact us and receive our wiring information. Mm -hmm. But one thing that I tell people all the time is our information never changes. So if some way, you know, somewhere along the way, you know, you, you, the client, the consumer says, you know, we must wire to this new bank account. Chances are that's not, it doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. You know, title companies rarely change their banking relationships. And uh, I would just, you know, again, it's another red flag. Use your gut. Something doesn't look right. Make a phone call. You know, the bank accounts, this is where I, I kind of ding the lenders a little bit. I think there's only one or two lenders that actually match the name to the account. So for instance, if you were mail, if you were wiring to Lancaster, we would ask you to wire to, you know, Lancaster Title Group. Mm -hmm. Well, when you go to the bank and say a fraudster gave them a new account number, the bank should be able to tell you who's the owner of that account. If it's Jim Smith or Jane Doe and it's not Lancaster, red flag. So again, you know, just asking some additional questions will go a long way because inevitably when they send you those fraudulent wiring instructions, it will have the name on there to where it's going. Mm -hmm. And some of these guys have gotten creative. They'll use some variation of our name because again, a real quick internet search will tell you who we are. Mm -hmm. But uh, again, we, we don't change that information. You know, we bank at a, one bank and uh, most other agencies around the state do the same thing. Thanks so much to Jason Summers for sharing all his expertise. If you're interested in checking out the Millennials 360 Life, you can find their self-described short but sweet episodes on iTunes. Title Talks is hosted by me, Amanda Farrell, and produced by PropLogics, the title support company that helps title agents close better. Until next time, happy closings.